Scripture reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. will save the people from their sins. That was the Matthew account that we covered last time I preached. We were talking about the birth of Christ, and I couldn't help but think about how simple and clear the Bible is on this subject. But of course, as we pointed out the last time we discussed this topic, the world uh, puts all sorts of things in this time of year that are not from the Bible. And there's been a lot of mythology and The purpose this morning is not to spend time refuting what man says, but is to simply look at what the Bible teaches about the birth of Christ. Because it was miraculous, but we also know that his death, burial, and resurrection was the fulfillment of the plan to save us all from our sins. So this time of year sort of reflects the way of man. And the recent examples of this Our Congress at the last moment of the year pushed through a 4,155-page bill that is now signed into law with spending of $1.66 trillion. One of the concerns that I have is that living in a society where it's government and people spend in great amounts of debt, that we don't really understand what debt means. Do we understand that the over $30 trillion of debt that our federal government owes is nothing compared to the debt that was paid by Christ for our sins. He gave up his own life for it. The fact that my Bible here, and of course different size print, different amount of pages, has 1,686 pages. God's able to clearly put his plan of salvation to us where we can understand it. Whereas we have legislators and a president signing legislation that they have no idea what's in that legislation. They haven't read all 4,155 pages. But God's plan, contrast with the wisdom of man, clearly reveals what he wants for us, what he wants us to become. The January 6th committee report was released recently. 
845 pages. And I have to say that just from the perspective of presentation, you look at the photographs and you look at how it was put together, well, they could do an efficient job when they want to. But it's filled with contradictions and all sorts of problems and issues, and we don't have that. We have God's Word, a collection of 66 different books inspired by various men of our period of time. And again, a lot of the things I'm discussing were covered in the gospel meeting that Brother Bob Harding led us through back in October. And then we go on religion. If man is capable of screwing these things up with all the resources available to them, are we going to trust what religion says about Jesus and identifies who he is? We know, for example, there are some today that this is one of the only two days they might celebrate Christ. We know there are others who might miss today just because the Lord's Day, as Clay pointed out when he talked about the Lord's Day earlier, uh, happens to fall on this day. Well, I, I can't really go worship today because I have other family gatherings that I need to attend to. Do we understand the debt that we can never pay, that the grace and mercy shown to us through Christ but if we had that gratitude for the debt, what would it do to us? Well, it would certainly make us servants that know we can never repay, but we're going to do the best we can. And we're going to conform to what God would want us to conform to. So you have the way of man, and then you have the way of the Lord. What's the way of the Lord? Evidence, facts, clarity, revelation, manifestation, love. Mercy, grace, the ancient plan of salvation, borrowing from Brother Harding, but also the eternal plan of salvation. And the birth of Christ is another piece of God's eternal plan of salvation. It wasn't just made up as God went along. And the fact that Jesus came from heaven, we read about Jesus in Genesis chapter 1. We read about Genesis in Jesus, uh, Jesus, in Genesis chapter 3. We read about Jesus being with God in John chapter 1. He came from heaven, came as a man, lived as we all have to live, and yet lived a perfect life. And the, his birth is part of that process. And there's some, some, some significant things we can learn from that. So before we begin, why even review this subject? Well, I tried to impress upon us the last time that this is a wonderful time of year to evangelize and teach. And it doesn't have to be us going forward and saying, well, it's simply, well, when someone brings something up or they put something on their lawn or tell us something, it gives us opportunity to point to the scriptures. Simply, what do the scriptures say on the subject? And we've talked about the effectiveness of having people read the scriptures for themselves. And you want to talk about evangelism. The best thing we can do to start is to get people to read the scriptures. Because that, that's going to give us clarity on what God wants. And the fact that a specific date of Christ's birth is not identified tells us a lot. It tells us that God wasn't concerned about it. But there are some markers. And again, you could spend all this time trying to figure things out. And in trying to figure those things out that God has revealed, we, we, we don't focus on what he has revealed. And we don't necessarily do the things that should be done. So number one, reviewing the subject is because... We want to make sure that we're accurate according to the scriptures as opposed to the world. Second, that it was part of God's ancient plan of salvation. Third, the fact that God's in control of all these events. 
So last time we talked about Herod and the massacre of the innocents. Those who were two years and under being ordered to be put to death. And again, how devastating that must have been. That the God, God is going to protect and make sure that his plan is done. And no matter what mankind tries to do to alter that plan, it's going to occur, it's going to happen. And efforts to fight against God throughout history. Don't we understand that those efforts have done nothing but further God's plan? We cannot fight against God. Number four, that the birth was one of those things foretold by the prophets. And of course, I invite visitors here to come Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, where we study the prophet Jeremiah. And we have a section of passages of scripture coming up which point directly to Christ and the gospel, even though it was written long, long ago. The connection with the resurrection, the fact that you have the birth, and we know the emphasis of the gospel is his death and his resurrection. That's where the power is. So those are reasons why, along with, again, evangelism, that we talk about this subject. So certain things due to time I'm going to go through very quickly. For example, with prophecy, we could spend all morning, if we want to, talking about the prophecies related to Christ. There are three specific ones which we won't read, but I'll point you to. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it talks about the virgin birth. And we discussed that a little bit in the Matthew account, and we'll continue today, fulfilled in Matthew, 21, uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. The fact that Bethlehem would be involved, as prophesied in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, being fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10. The flight to Egypt that we talked about in Matthew. We talked about the character of Joseph. This morning we'll talk a little bit about Mary's character and how God viewed her. And the fact that they were responsible and did what they were commanded to do. And they fled to Egypt to avoid the massacre of the innocents. Talked about in Hosea and fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. So again, the last time we talked a lot from the Matthew account. Now we're going to spend our time this morning in the Luke account. Now let's go ahead and jump forward. In Luke chapter 1, the first part talks about that's written to Theophilus in consecutive order. Verses 5 through 25 talk about John the Baptist, that his birth being announced. He, of course, is going to be the forerunner. And there's going to be a connection that we see coming up here. So let's jump down to Luke chapter 1 and take a look at verse 26. Luke 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month... That's the sixth month that Elizabeth was carrying John, what would become John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So again, we could talk a lot about angels and people might think of the movie It's a Wonderful Life and Clarence trying to get his wings. You could talk about, uh, again, the uh, Virgin Mary. We know that some religions elevate Mary to a place that was never intended by the scriptures. But let's look at these couple of verses and see what the Bible says in the Luke account. That the angel here had a name. We have other passages where the angel's not named, but in this specific case that the angel is named Gabriel. We know that from this account. We know about Gabriel being sent by God, so God is the person in charge here, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. 
And again, we know there are prophecies related to that. We know that, as it says in verse 27, it mentions the house of David. And we know David was a king. We have a passage coming up in Jeremiah we're going to study talking about the root or branch of David. And how when you see that, it refers to a messianic prophecy. That this was planned, that through certain lineage, these things are going to occur. We talked last time, I preached about the Matthew genealogy versus what you find in Luke. And I encourage you to take the time and study and how it ties everything together there. But take a look at verse 28, what Gabriel says to Mary. Uh, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So this is the Lord calling Mary a favored one. And you're going to see in a a short time why Mary was so uh, valued by the Lord. God values people who are humble. God values people who are willing to serve him. And we're going to see what type of character she has in these upcoming passages here. Let's continue on verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. It will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Another reference to David there. That that this would be a king that would be born. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. So unlike the physical kings that God had provided before, this is going to be a spiritual king who's going to reign throughout eternity. And of course, as we study the Jeremiah class, the Lord should have been their king. He provided everything that the people wanted, but the people wanted to be like other nations, so they demanded a king, and God gave them warnings, and he gave them a king. And we know that the King David was a man after God's own heart. And we know that promises that were made to Abraham, that through his seed all nations would be blessed, that through David, through that royal lineage, we would have the Messiah come. So you see Mary's reaction. And who of us wouldn't be troubled having this type of experience? She was troubled. Again, there are some that want to elevate Mary to position, claiming that she's perfect. She wasn't perfect. She was a human being. But she was a humble servant of the Lord. The angel confirmed and gave information. So this is from this passage, we can learn a little about angels. We know angels can be messengers. In this case, a message is provided. And notice that the angel not only gives information, but is going to provide encouragement as to what Mary's role is in this. Verse 34, you see Mary asking a question. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? So again, it's a perfectly legitimate question. Verse 35, here is the angel clarifying. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. 
For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, you take a look at this account, and there are skeptics and those that reject it. But if you don't believe what's said here, then you're not capable of believing what else is said in the scripture. This is something we have to accept about how Jesus was conceived. And it says right there clearly. But people want to try to tie all these other explanations to it. But it goes back to one simple thought, which is expressed in verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Do we believe that our God is capable of all things? Or do we have the mind of man who thinks we're better than others? The same type of mankind that has, let's say, a 4,000-page bill, $30 trillion in debt, false religion, false reports, following their own desires, screwing up everything, but somehow we're not to trust the Word of God, which again, as was done in a gospel meeting, where the evidence is clear and overwhelming. And notice here when it's said for, with God nothing is impossible. It's not only the virgin conception and birth that's referred to with Mary, but also the reference to Elizabeth, who is also called barren. And obviously you think of Abraham and Sarah, and the fact that they felt they weren't going to have a child, and they had a child. And then Abraham was told, as a test, to sacrifice his child, which of course God didn't allow. But remember that Abraham concluded that God was able to resurrect him, and maybe he pulled that out. So there's no point in going on if we don't believe clearly what the Luke account says about Mary being with child. Verse 38. Listen again. This tells you about Mary's attitude and character. And it might sound similar to something that Jesus expressed. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Your word your will. Similar to what Jesus said in the garden when he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that's why she was favored, and that's why the Lord had chosen her. Now let's take a look at Matthew, or sorry, Luke 1, verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed for there, it, there will be fulfillment of those things which were told from, uh, told her from the Lord. So here we have Elizabeth carrying John the Baptist. And this child in the womb is leaping uh, for joy when, when hearing Mary in the voice. And we know that John the Baptist was the forerunner. And he understood this. We know that he was prophesied about. But again, verse 45, blessed is she... Who believed, And so you have Mary responding. You have Elizabeth who had also believed. Remember her husband uh, was muted, was not allowed to speak because he had a level of unbelief. But we'll take a look what else it says in verse 45. 
For there will be fulfillment of those things which were told uh, her from the Lord. The fulfillment of prophecy, the execution of God's plan to bring a Messiah, a spiritual king, that again would die for our sins and would conquer death, would have victory over death and sin, that we could have hope of eternal life. And then we have this section which it might say in your Bible, the Song of Mary. But again, there's some interesting things here that I would like to point out. Luke 1, starting in verse 46. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. So again, this is who she is. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice that she calls God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. So she's acknowledging the fact that the Lord had knows her position and her humility. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, if you read this, it sounds a lot like a Psalm of David. It sounds a lot like some of the things we've talked about when people like Jeremiah are expressing this type of thankfulness uh, to the Lord. Now, Now, notice what Mary says here in verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So Mary, in the scriptures, teaching us. It's recorded for us that we can also have mercy from the Lord if we fear him. And that this is a promise that is ongoing. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He, will, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. And again, this is coming from Mary, someone who's humble, someone who is not recognized by society as anything special, um, as we often do where we highlight celebrities and, and people with power and things like that. This was not Mary. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And some of this language probably reminds you of uh, Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, doesn't it? Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. We're studying right now about judgment about to come upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their disobedience, because they played the harlot with other nations, with idol worship. They're making alliances with other countries. But yet, even in the promise of punishment, remember, the Lord promises they're going to return from Babylon. But he also promises a longer-term promise, that the spiritual Messiah would come and give us opportunity of life eternal with God the Father. Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever, through all nations, through Abraham's seed, all nations will be blessed. Verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So here you have these relatives that have this interaction and they're both having these miraculous things occur. Now let's go to Luke chapter 2 and notice we can compare the differences in the account of the birth here. Not contradictions, but differences and details of what's said. Luke chapter 2, let's take a look at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Carinus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
Now, what's interesting, of course, is we know there are, there are different prophecies about where Jesus was going to be born and grown up. And we see, if you looked at the prophecies without this information, you'd say, well, how is that fulfilled? Well, the Matthew and Luke accounts explain that. Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the what? City of David. So there again is the connection with David the king, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. And of course, we see nativity scenes, we have people emphasize these certain types of things. One thing I would like to, to bring out is, of course, Jesus was the firstborn son. That there are going to be others that are going to be born. And imagine again being parents and Joseph, who was communicated to in a dream, and Mary, who was communicated to by an angel, and they're both going to be communicated to flee and to go to Egypt. That would be overwhelming in and of itself, knowing you have that responsibility. But then you're going to have other children who come along, which would include... Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, the brother of the Lord, and you're going to be responsible for raising them. So take a moment to think about them as parents, and yet, uh, with all the different things they go through in life, how to make a living, having to raise children, the environment that they were in, the fact that they are always doing what the Lord required. They, they were told to go and census, so they went and did what they were going to do. When it's time for Jesus to become circumcised, that's exactly what they're going to do. So they always want to do what's right to the best of their ability. And, and that, again, that's a lesson for us. Let's look at verse 8 of Luke 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And of course, what's interesting, again, when people tell the nativity and all this, they have this mixture of shepherds and wise men and, and things. And again, we could see from the accounts that they're not necessarily uh, the same thing. And it says, verse 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And, and so you notice this reaction. So Mary had fear, and they're greatly afraid, because we would be as well. I mean, this is an overwhelming experience. We would call it supernatural. Now, in this case, it would be supernatural, because the Lord's doing it. We attribute all sorts of things to the so-called supernatural, when they're actually there's explanations to it. But these things are directly controlled by God. And you might say, well, why are all these different people that we're going to see? I mean, we talked before about these wise men coming from the east. And now we have these shepherds. Well, they're corroborating witnesses to what's taking place, that these things are true. And just like when Herod put those to and under to death, it was well known throughout the whole region. It troubled. It says Herod was troubled greatly, and so was the people of Jerusalem and Judea in the Matthew account. The things that are taking place here, including the birth of Christ, were well known. They were well known because Herod knew about it. He was going to try to prevent this potential threat to his uh, rule that he wanted to be eliminated. So it says this, verse 13. And suddenly, I'm sorry, let me go back here. Let me go back to, to verse 9. I, I skipped some of this. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
So, so here again, the angel's giving, just like Gabriel did to Mary, uh, you know, here's the purpose of the message. It, it had a point, it had a purpose to it. Do not be afraid, but behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And by the way, all people would have included people at that time, but it also includes us. So, so that's an accurate message that is given this time of year. Now again, we don't know if it's this time of year because the Bible doesn't say. But the message that Jesus came and died and was resurrected that we could be saved from sin, that is a, 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 a joyful message. That is a, a something that we should go and bring forth the gospel. Verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes uh, lying in a manger. And so they're given these specific details. And they're witnesses. And and they want to follow up on this. It says, verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And you can't help but think of the throne room scene in Revelation chapter 4 that we went through, and I encourage you to look at that to give you a sense of what it must be like. We're in our physical state. We, we can't really understand the glory of, of heaven and what it's actually like. But it gives us a sense in these visuals of what it must be like. All right, let's go down to verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So they know that they had information revealed by the Lord. And now they're going to follow up on it. And, 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 and that's a lesson for us. When we have information or evidence, do we follow up and continue or do we just... Ah, well, that happened, and it's not really that significant. This is causing them to what? It's causing them to action. And information about Christ, information from God should cause us to act. It should cause us to react, and then it should cause us to act in some type of action. Verse 16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, notice this, They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. So they didn't hide this information. They didn't just keep it amongst themselves. They're going to spread this information. So the historical fact of Jesus' birth was widely known at the time. And it is a historical event that took place that, again, we should marvel at because God was in control of it. Verse 18, And all those who heard it marveled at those things, which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told them. So again, they're not just going out and and adding their own narrative here. They're saying exactly what God had told them through the angel. They're saying exactly what they had witnessed. They're not adding to it. They're not putting their own spin on it. They're simply revealing what took place. So in the two lessons, I mean, again, there's not a whole lot about the birth of Christ. But let's continue on a little bit. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 21, because now we're going to see eight days. It says in verse 21, 
And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, so again, the parents are following what was required by the old law, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And of course, we know the significance. And so again, that the parents are following what they were instructed to do. Verse 22. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So again, the parents are doing exactly what the law was doing, as Jesus did when he exactly followed the law. And of course, we're going to have the transition uh, to John the Baptist and of course to what Christ is going to teach himself and the New Testament covenant. And then we have these other witnesses here. So, so he's still an infant, but there's some remarkable things here. One of them is Simeon. Let, let's take a look at a little bit about Simeon. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. So again, there's always this remnant we see how Joseph was defined, how Mary was defined, that we had these wise men who were accurately telling what was taking place, that these shepherds are doing what the Lord wants them to do. And now we have this man, uh, Simeon, who was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Messiah. Isn't that something? Imagine being Simeon and having that revealed to you. And, and we're going to see his reaction. Now, now, some might say, well, once I see this, I know that I'm going to, at some point I'm going to die, right? But I want you to just notice his reaction. Verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And so we know from this passage that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal information. So this was revealed to him. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus... To do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. And I find this interesting because you never see this scene amongst these, these nativity scenes, right? But it's pretty remarkable what's going on here. Simeon's been told what's going to happen. He takes him up in his arms and, and here's what he says. Here's what Simeon says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh, how I hope that each one of us today can see the Lord's salvation, like Simeon did. Which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. So in other words, this is going to be manifest or revealed to everyone that they might be saved. Verse 32. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. And instantly... As we went through the Isaiah class, when it says, Revelation to the Gentiles, your mind jumps back to Isaiah, right? Because many times we saw how that prophecy was made. So, so the thankfulness of Simeon to have witnessed this and to know that his way of living was going to be rewarded and that God approved of him. Verse 33. Now, now notice how Joseph and Mary respond to this. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. So they'd been given some information, but they don't, and, and we can't blame them. None of us would be able to comprehend 
what it meant to have th- this baby who's going to be the Messiah, who's going to be the Savior. Right? It, it, it would be difficult for us to comprehend. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign, so we talk about signs, which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So that there's teaching that even the parents had to understand that's going to be revealed to them here. And then the next section, we have another witness, and that is Anna. Verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. So she's, she's up there in age, isn't she? Who did not depart from the temple. So this is showing you her character here, isn't it? But served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And look how many years she'd been a widow, 84 years. She did not depart from the temple, served God, and did it day and night, fastings and prayer. The power of one individual, the fact that God is recognizing her. Let's take a look look at what else it says. Verse 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So again, this plan that through a Messiah, people, including Israel, would be redeemed and with the Lord. Verse 39, So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city. And notice again, the parents made sure that all things were performed according to the law. Verse 40, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So in two lessons, we very shortly saw, very carefully saw, what was said about the birth of Christ. It's an opportunity again for us to point people to these passages and see what's involved. And of course, we know that it's going to jump to Jesus being in the temple and teaching and people are amazed. And then it's later on going to jump, a couple time jumps there. And so again, there's gaps in there, which are not important for us to know because if they were, God would have revealed it to us. But we have enough information. But hopefully the purpose of these two lessons is for us not to shy away from the birth of Christ. It was a planned event. It was part of the Lord's plan of salvation. It was prophesied. It was fulfilled. And we can clearly see what it says from the scriptures. Don't rely on other sources, but rely on God's word to point the way to us. So as we take a moment to offer the invitation, we consider the fact that this baby became a man who willingly went to the cross and died for our sins, even though he lived a perfect life. As we talked about before, there was an extra challenge. Not only was Jesus tempted as we were in all ways, but he also had the power to prevent those things from coming upon him. And he didn't utilize that power to save himself because he was doing the will of his father. And it was the will of his father that he might die and be resurrected that all of us might have hope of eternal life. I ask each of us this morning to consider our standing before God. Are you confident that if your life ended today, or if the Lord returned, as we talked about 
in like First Thessalonians, would we be ready? Would we, we, would we be prepared? Take this opportunity to make sure you're right with God. It's too important. Eternity is too important for this short temporal life. We are promised a mansion as we sung about in one of the songs. And to live and sing praises for eternity before God. If you have something you need prayers for from the congregation, please let us know what those needs are so we can pray for you and assist you in any way we can. If you have a need, please come forward as we stand and sing.